This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. This is the Learn Jazz Standards Podcast, episode 110. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. All right, what's up, everybody? My name is Brent. I am the jazz musician behind the website LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. So excited to be here, and I have a very special guest on the show today that I know you're going to love. It's Nick Manella from the 10-Minute Jazz Lesson Podcast. This is an excellent podcast where Nick, every single week, is laying down uh, s- some jazz tips and advice for everybody. So be sure to check out the 10-Minute Jazz Lesson Podcast. And I'm excited to have Mom because he's going to talk all about the blues today and how you can crush it on the blues. Now, the blues, we have never honed in on the blues before on the show. And so I'm stoked about this because the blues is really important in jazz. It really comes, it really is the foundation of jazz and how it all started. And it's still a big part of the music today. So we need to understand the blues, how to play the blues, how to improvise over it. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into that today. Uh, so before we get into the interview with Nick, I just want to say if this is your very first time listening to the show, uh, I want you to know you're in the right place if you are a beginner trying to get into jazz, maybe you, you, you're just trying to see what's out there, understand what it is, or whether you're an intermediate player or even an advanced player, there's something here for everybody. And I come out with a show every single week to serve you, to help you become a better musician. So, uh, you know, subscribe to iTunes, subscribe to your favorite podcast listening service if you haven't done already. Don't ever miss a show that's coming out. I'm going to make a pledge to you today. If you come and you're listening every single week, and uh, as long as you're here, I'm going to be here coming out with free jazz lessons, tips, advice every single week to serve you more. Okay, so subscribe on iTunes and make sure you're connected. All right, so I'm going to get Nick Manila on for this interview. And, and just to let you know, he has a really cool blues course that he's going to talk about at the end of the show. So stick around for that. All right, without further ado, here is Nick Manila from the 10 Minute Jazz Lesson Podcast. All right, welcoming on the show today is Nick Manila. He is a saxophonist, and he is the host of the 10-Minute Jazz Lesson podcast. Nick, thanks for being here today. Oh, man, thank you so much for having me, Brent. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, I just love your podcast, and um, I've been a fan. I have a feeling that some other people who listen to my podcast listen to yours, too, which is super fun and super cool. And so uh, uh, I'm glad that, uh, man, I'm just excited to have you on today and talk. But for those who maybe don't know you, uh, could you give like the one minute uh, Nick Manella, what do you actually do? Yeah, so uh, basically I'm a saxophonist. I live just north of Boston in the Boston area. 
uh, teach a lot of lessons, play a lot of music, and uh, just recently over the past couple of years have been really getting into podcasting. Uh, so I run actually two podcasts, the 10-Minute Jazz Lesson podcast I've had going for quite a while now. And then uh, brand new on the podcast scene is a saxophone podcast called Everything Saxophone uh, that I've just started with my colleague Donna Schwartz. And that one's a little bit more centered around interviewing great saxophonists and talking about the instrument. Um, but yeah, the 10-minute the jazz lesson is kind of my passion. I've been doing it for a long time. And, and what we do on that show is just basically pick a topic and we do around a 10-minute lesson on it. Sometimes it spills over because, as you know, some of these topics are pretty deep. Um, and it's just been great. I've been able to connect with people all over the world and uh, hopefully spread some knowledge to people that maybe don't have the traditional means of, you know, being near a, a large city or being able to study with somebody. Um, so that's kind of what I do and what I'm all about. That's awesome. Yeah. And definitely, if you haven't listened to the 10 Minute Jazz Listen podcast, definitely go check it out. It's such a great show. And I saw that you're uh, approaching episode 100. Is that right? Yeah, actually. Dude. So next yeah, next week will be episode 100, so I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, man, congratulations. Thank so, you, thank you. the time we're recording this, uh, it might, episode 100 might be out. And uh, we actually passed, uh, when was it? Was it in February? Or I, I forgot. We passed the episode 100 <laughs> mark recently, which was super fun. That's Two awesome. years of the podcast. So congratulations, man. That's hey, so great. And You uh, as I, well, man. Oh, thanks. I just appreciate that you're, uh, you know, you're out there serving people and... Uh, you know, spreading the jazz education love. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I think we both know that music is, is a great thing. Jazz is a great music. And uh, so uh, it's great just to, to, to have someone who, who does this, who does this as well. So that's so cool. So let's, uh, I want to, let's dig a little deeper. Let's okay. dig a little bit deeper. How did you get started with music? Like what got you so amped up about it? Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, kind of a normal story of being a kid and my dad was a saxophone player um went to berkeley in the 1970s and then uh he's been a public school educator for you know the past about 35 years um so just growing up around a lot of music hearing my dad play the saxophone uh being able to dig through his record collection from a very very young age was amazing uh and just kind of having the sound of some pretty advanced music um again from a young age i think kind of pushed me towards it so then when it came time to choose an instrument in school of course you know i wanted to be like my dad so i chose saxophone um and i think just having all that music kind of floating around in my head uh, i i took to it pretty quickly and it wasn't easy because of course playing any instrument is not easy especially playing jazz but oh, i feel man. like i had a i had a leg up uh just from having all that music in my ears um and then just continued to get more serious about it through middle school high school um ended up going to the university of new hampshire uh for my undergrad in saxophone performance and then headed out to western michigan university after that to get a master's in jazz performance um and then after that, just kind of been living the life of a musician, uh, trying to kind of cobble together a living, as I'm sure you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. all the things that go along with that, but um, have a large studio of, of private students and 
uh, just trying to get better at the instrument every single day um, and juggle all the things that are going on. But it really is, you know, all the difficulties that go along with a life in music, they're really kind of worth it at the end of the day um, when you kind of look back on what you did that day and, and really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, just kind of, you know, started with the saxophone and never really looked back. Um, and it's been great. I I have no complaints. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there, there are a lot of struggles that go along with being uh, a professional musician, but there are so many rewards as well. And, you know, even if you're, you're, you're listening and, and most of you listening are not professional musicians, but you, you love the music and you're passionate about it and, um, it brings some kind of, uh, fulfillment or, or happiness in your life. Well, that's the same thing that we feel too. You know, um, you just were a little bit more intelligent with your career choice. So just feel good about that. Um, <laughs> um, oh, that's so great. Um, so your father was really influential then in, mm-hmm. in getting you into to the music, and that that's that's really cool. What was like? Was there ever? Because you know, not everybody just kind of jumps into jazz. Like, oh, jazz is the music. Like, because you know, it is kind of a music that you have to appreciate, right? You have right, to enjoy right. the artistry of it. Was there any like big aha moments for you where you're like, oh man, I really love jazz, and I really want to pursue at least this music primarily? Because we we all pursue other kinds of music too. But yeah, was there a moment like that? I think so. Uh, I when I was in, I, I had the uh, good fortune of going to a school with a very good music program, um, and I definitely credit that to a lot of my love for music and and ultimately success in a career in music. Um, so you know, when I was in middle school and and early high school, you know, I played in the jazz band. Uh, the teacher would give us you know the blues scales and some really basic, uh, you know jazz improvisation language to use. But then when I was towards the end of my freshman year of high school, we got a student teacher um, who came in and worked with the with the ensembles. And he is still to this day, like one of the best jazz tenor saxophone players I've ever heard. His name is Bill Jones. He's a Boston area musician. Um, and he kind of hipped me to the fact that like, this music is endless. You know, like the, it's bottomless. You could work on this for your entire life and not get to the, you know, nexus of playing jazz. Um, so that was like the turning point for me was just seeing somebody as serious as him uh, and then realizing how much work he was doing on the horn every day and how much I like to hear him play and how much I just like to hang out with him. You know, like the first time I think you get to hang out with a real live jazz musician who's really doing it um, and is that serious about it, it can really change your life. Um, and he introduced me to like all of my favorite players these days. So I think he was the first guy that like hipped me to Coltrane and Joe Henderson. And um, he was going to New England Conservatory at the time. So um, it was kind of funny, actually, because he would give me some stuff in our lessons that was like so far over my head. Like I look back on it and some of it is still over my head to this day. Um, And I think most people would consider that like, well, what the heck was he doing? But to me, it really... Like I said earlier, it was like, oh my gosh, like this stuff is crazy. If I can get to even scratch the surface of some of the stuff that he's giving me, uh, this is going to be an awesome thing. So that really ignited my passion. I, I fully credit him to kind of 
opening my eyes to the bigger world of jazz than I think would have happened if if he wasn't if he didn't come to school and and you know uh, turn us on to all this kind of stuff. So big shout out to Bill Jones. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, Bill. So yeah, the, you know that's so funny you say that because my big. Uh, jazz influencer the guy that really got me hooked like the first tune he gave me to play was inner urge by joe henderson wow the first uh, one (laughs) well yeah yeah and and like i asked him years like why did like he just i guess he just thought that i would be into that because i was Mm -hmm. i was coming from prog rock and yeah i don't i don't actually think he was thinking about it really but i'll tell (laughs) you i'll tell you something like you know i that was an insane song right but i guess the i guess just the the dedication that I had to have just to like try to at all improvise over that without having any knowledge of anything uh, really helped me to persevere with just about everything else in jazz. Right, right. And by the way, like if you're OCD, this is a nightmare of a music, right? <laughs> because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there is, like you were saying, there's, uh, there's, it's endless. There's, uh, it just keeps going. So. Yeah. And I'll never just, forget, I always kind of tell this story, but uh, at the University of New Hampshire, I had the good fortune to meet and study a little bit with James Moody. Um, oh, my goodness. And, I mean, he was, like, about to turn 80 when he when he came out there, and we hung out. And, man, I'll never forget, he said, come by, come by my hotel room tomorrow morning at, like, 9 a.m., and we'll, we'll hang out and go over some stuff. So I showed up at the, at the hotel room, and as I'm walking down the hall, I can hear him playing. And I, you know, I knock on the door, he lets me in and he's got like music just out all over the bed. He's got like several saxophone mouthpieces out. Like it's clear that he had been practicing for hours already that morning. And I mean, you look at a guy like that, he's played with everybody. He's a legend. He knows more about jazz than I probably ever will. And he's still working his butt off like at the age of 80 trying to get better. Um, so that really drove it home to me too. Like, okay, wow, it really is never ending. Um, and well, I think that can actually defeat a lot of people. I think if you make the mental decision to let it inspire you, uh, things are going to go a lot better. 100%. And that it really is a mental decision, uh, because that that can break people down Mm -hmm. or it can just be, uh, a lifetime of endless discovery and fun. So right. great point you make there. And that's cool that you got to uh, study a bit with James Moody. So I'm uh, I'm excited to have you on to talk a little bit about the blues today, which is actually something on this show that we've never really just honed in on and really just unpacked. But cool. at the end of the day, the blues is so important when it comes to jazz music and mm-hmm. understanding, knowing the blues, getting deep inside of it, uh, can make a huge impact. So I thought it'd be great to start by asking you, why is the blues so important in jazz? Yeah, uh, for several reasons. I think the first is that if you trace the the lineage of this music back to its roots, the blues is present in, in all forms. Um, so if you think about, you know, the culture that brought about this music, you know, it came originally from field songs and then that kind of morphed into the blues and the blues kind of morphed into something a little bit more swinging that was eventually called jazz uh but it's been ever present throughout so i think that the fact that we still play the blues like i would imagine that almost any gig that you go to you're going to hear at least one blues being played 
Uh, it's just kind of something that we do as jazz musicians. And not only is it a super fun form to play over, it's a great place to get started because it's a relatively simple form. Like it's not inner urge, you know what I mean? It's something that's a little bit uh, easier to and less intimidating to get into. Um, and it also contains a lot of the devices that are going to be used in more complicated tunes, but it presents itself in a more accessible way. Um, and also the really nice thing about the blues is that you can play it in a lot of different ways. So you could play it in a very, very simple form at a slow tempo, or you can start adding a lot of changes to it and actually making it a lot more difficult. Uh, you could do a lot of substitutions over the blues. So it's a, it's just kind of a nice base of operations for a lot of the music that you're going to start studying after the blues. Uh, so I'm a firm believer. In, in fact, most of my students, the first thing we work on is the blues. Um, and I know that's the case in a lot of schools. Like the first thing you ever improvise over is a blues because it's, it's something where a teacher can give you just one scale and say, go. Um, and that's really nice with younger kids, but you can also get really, really deep with the blues, which is why I really appreciate it because it has that dichotomy. And, and I think the blues too is really accessible, right? Because yeah. I mean, even further than just it being a big deal in jazz, if you think about it, uh, most popular music has roots in the blues, like right. rock has, I mean, everything has evolved, right? But exactly like it all has roots there. Um, mm -hmm. This uh, African-American music that started that it's just branched out into all these different styles that have just morphed and, you know, and taken influence from multiple different places. But yeah. that's also uh, even outside of jazz, it's super important. Well, you mentioned uh, really, you mentioned a second ago that there's a lot of different ways you can play the blues and mm -hmm. styles and ways. And so uh, before our interview here, I was asking the Learn Jazz Standards community Facebook group if they had any questions for you. And so here's a great one from Lewis. And he says, what is the difference between a major and a minor blues? Maybe we can start talking about that yeah. because uh, those are two different styles right there. For sure. So, you know, obviously the main difference, and I'm sure most of the people know know this out there, but, you know, major and minor are two very different things, right? So it's going to give you a completely different sound, whether you're playing chords that have a major third or whether you're playing chords that have a minor chord. So on surface level, that's, that's obviously the main difference, but that's also said in the name, the major blues, the minor blues. Um, another difference would be is that the minor blues is actually a little bit less complicated in my opinion. So typically uh, when we're playing a major blues, like if we take the first four measures, for example, most jazz musicians are going to play the one chord in the first measure, then they're gonna play the four chord in the second measure, and then go back to the one chord for the remainder of that first four bars. In the minor blues, we actually just hang out on the one chord for the first four bars. So that's a huge difference. Um, and that's where the minor blues is actually maybe a little bit more accessible. Hmm. Um, but I tend to start everybody on the major blues, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, another big difference would be the turnaround. Traditionally, in a major blues, we have a, a 2-5-1 turnaround, which is probably the most common chord progression in jazz. Right. In minor blues, it's a little different. Typically, what we see is a flat six to five turnaround in the minor blues. Uh, but there are 
you know, hundreds of minor blueses out there and they, they all do different things. But I'm thinking of a, a simple minor blues like maybe Mr. PC by uh-huh. John Coltrane. You know, it's the one chord for four bars. Now we jump to the four chord in bar five, back to the one chord in bar seven, like a traditional blues. And then he does that flat six to five turnaround. Yeah. Um, so those would be the main differences that pop into my mind. Uh, when I think about the difference between major and minor blues, and by the way, that that five six, uh, the, the sorry, the flat six, right? Mm-hmm. It's that really that that chromatic bass that right. goes from the like if we're in the key of C, it's a flat to G. That's exactly, G is the five chord, and then C minor seven or C minor six, whatever, is the one yep. chord. Uh, is that a substitute? Like, where does that come from? Is that a substitute for the the two chord, or what is that? Yeah, it is definitely. Well, in my mind, I feel like it's a substitute for the two chord. Um, Just doing that chromatic motion going down to the five chord, it just provides for a totally different sound. Uh, So if you listen to a lot of the, you know, greats play over a minor blues as opposed to a major blues, what you'll hear over the turnaround is a lot of sequencing, right? So sequencing meaning play something in one key and then you play it in another key. Right. Uh, So I tend to hear a lot more of that when I listen to the minor blues. And I think that's actually a really fantastic way to maybe work on the turnaround over a over a minor blues is pick something to play over that flat six dominant chord and then play the exact same thing over the five chord and then resolve that in some way. Right. So, for example, uh, I've got my horn right next to me, so I could actually. Nice. Let's play something. Uh, So if we're in the key of, I I tend to find that the most common key of minor blues is concert C minor. Uh, So then you're looking at, you know, an A flat seven chord going down to a G seven chord. So you could play something as simple as maybe arpeggiating both chords. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in bar nine, we'll play. Right. So I'm just going down five, three, one, seven on that flat six chord. And then I'm going to do the exact same thing over the five chord. So, you know, and there's endless possibilities of right, stuff that you right. do with that, but that's a, maybe a good way to get started. But you could hear the, but the great thing is you could hear those changes when you right. played it. Right. Oh, the power of chord tones. It's exactly. Amazing. It is. It's truly awesome. <laughs> now, one more question on this, just for those who are like major minor blues. Now, mm. it can be confusing for people when we call it the major blues because a lot of people mm. think, well, wouldn't the one chord be a major chord? But it's not, right? right. It's a dominant seventh chord. Like, right. any insights on why that is, where that comes from? Well, uh, let me start by saying, like, I consider, I still consider a dominant chord a major chord. Okay. It just doesn't have a major seven, right? Because what what defines major is the third, right? Right. Um, so I think it's okay to call it the major blues, uh, but yeah, there is some clarification needed, right? We're not dealing with major seven chords. We're dealing with dominant seventh chords, but uh, we still do have that major third. And I think that's the real uh, point of contention there. Um, Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, so I guess the reason why a dominant seventh chord is used in the blues is because it has a little bit more tension to it. And I mean, if you think about the genre of the blues, it's not, we're not, 
it's not happy music, right? It's it's <laughs> yeah. called the it's called the blues for a reason. I mean, a, a blues can be really joyful and and fun to listen to, but um, just that little bit of added tension with the flatted seventh, right. um, you know, it really. I don't think they would have called it the blues if we were using all major seven chords. <laughs> Dude, I, t- I totally put you on the spot there, man, because like I was, I, I, I didn't know. So I was asking yeah, you. Yeah, right. That was, that was more for me. I was like, nah, just the blues, man. You right, just played right. dominant seventh chord. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for bearing with it. That was, that was an impossible <laughs> question to answer. <laughs> but yeah, so that, anyways, that's a good uh, thing to understand. Now, since we're on the topic of chord changes, another question from somebody in the Facebook community group, and I'm so sorry, I'm going to butcher name zung americans cannot pronounce anything else other than american names so please uh, accept my apologies Uh, his question is how do you know which version of the chord changes to play Mm. since there are so many variations just by listening to each other talking in advance uh you know so that that's actually a great question because there are different variations on the blues you know that there's there's a there's actually a lot of different variations on the blues um maybe could you talk about like what would you consider like a most blaze a basic like core like blues like right at the core like uh, yeah what, what 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 are like the core changes that you would consider yeah so at its most basic form uh you have basically four chords you have the one chord the four chord the two chord and the five chord mm-hmm. um and and those are going to be your basic building blocks for every single thing that comes after it um, and, and the person who asked that question is is totally right. And this might seem daunting to somebody who's not a super experienced jazz musician. Is like, okay, well, we're playing, and how do we know what each other are going to do, uh, and how do we connect on that? And and the answer really is is that I mean, when you think about jazz, you have to listen. <laughs> to the other people that are playing, yeah. right? I mean, right. it's it's a music of listening and reacting. Um, so let's say that you're playing a group and uh, with a group, and everybody in the group is uh, sort of amateur, right? So you're you're just getting started. You're playing with your friends. You're this is maybe the, your first foray into jazz music. Um, I don't think you're going to have much trouble. You could go with the, the most basic form of the blues and just really work on mastering that first. So before you start adding a whole bunch of changes, make sure that you can really sound great just on the basic changes. And let me do a little bit of an overview of what I would consider basic changes. So we already kind of talked about the first four bars. We've got the one chord. And then in the second bar, we go to the four chord, back to the one chord. And that's your, your first four measures. Second four measures, pretty simple. Go to the four chord for bars five and six. Go back to the one chord for bars seven and eight. And then the last four bars are pretty simple as well. Usually what I do, bar nine, a two chord, bar 10, a five chord, and then back to the one chord in bar 11. And then usually what I'll do is I'll use a five chord in the last measure of the blues to sort of get me back into the top, right? Right. And I think that that's the blues at its kind of most basic form. Um, Now, of course, there are actually more basic ways to play it, but I think if you want to play, quote unquote, the jazz blues, I think that that's going to be your most basic form. Right. Um, and, And then as far as adding other chords, um, like I said, wait until you can totally kill it just using that basic form before you look into 
you know, other like secondary dominant things like right. putting the six chord in, in bar eight or playing a turnaround in the last two bars or something that's really going to, um, I always say, burn a lot of brain cells, right? Um, right. Make sure that you're really getting it done with the most basic form. And then let's say that you are still at kind of a basic level, but you're playing with a rhythm section that's just like fantastic, you know, professional musicians, amazing. You don't need to worry at all about what they're going to do, because if you're playing with an amazing rhythm section, they're going to be listening to what you're doing, right? right. Totally. Now, on the flip side, if you're a rhythm section player, uh, one of the things that you should really work on is like really honing in on the soloist and trying to really develop your ears to react to what the soloist is doing. That's what all the best rhythm sections do. Um, and at first, that's going to be really, really difficult. But I promise you that a soloist is not going to get super mad at you if they're like, oh, man, I was trying to play a tritone substitution and you didn't get it. Like, that's <laughs> that's not going to happen. No. Um, but if you hear something, let's say that that you're a pianist and you're playing with a horn player and you could hear that the horn player really likes to do something in bar 10 every time start to just think of, think about and decipher maybe what that sound is. So you could think, well, is it dissonant? Okay, well, that leads me to maybe a certain set of sounds that it could be. Um, are they playing in just a, a different key entirely? Okay, well, that might be a little bit harder to figure out, but at least you've sort of narrowed it down to some of the devices that the soloist is using. Um, but I guess at its core is you just have to listen. You have to listen and react to what's going on around you. Um, and that can be one of the most intimidating things about jazz, but it can also be one of the most rewarding things about jazz. Absolutely. Listening is everything because it is uh, a very social music. Like, you know, right. all music is social, but I mean, jazz is really social. And to, right. uh, I'll add a little bit more just to get to the, the, also add to the heart of that question there is if you want to know which chord changes you should play, it's, it's about listening, but you have to also be educated too. You have to understand, right. you know, what are those basic changes? And I think also a great way to do that is just to go out and learn a bunch of, of different blues heads or different blues chord changes. Like, for sure. You know, go out and learn of just a basic rock and roll blues that's like one, mm -hmm. four, five. Then go out and check out a bunch of different jazz blueses. Like, check out uh, Sandu, check out uh, Tenor Madness, check out yep. um, Freddie Freeloader, which, you know, it actually goes to, uh, has a little backdoor dominant at the end mm -hmm. of the form that leads back into the one chord. You know, so if you, if you hip yourself to all these different chord changes and uh, listen to all this stuff, then it's not a matter of... It's not a matter of which are the right changes, which are the wrong changes. It's the options that you you kind of develop an, a repertoire of options that you have. And the more you understand harmony, which is why it's so important to study harmony, yeah. then it's not a big deal, right? It's just a matter of knowing, being educated, and then opening your ears. And if everybody can tap into that, some incredible music mo musical moments can start to come out. Um, that being said, another question for you, uh, Nick. Mm -hmm. From This is from Stefan from the community group. Um, is he's, he's asking, are there like a certain number of important jazz blues tunes that we should know? Like, do you have any like heads that you would suggest for people to start working on? Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of them, you know, Sandu, uh, Tenor Madness is a great one. And I kind of separate, uh, my blues into two categories. So I would think of like a riff based blues. 
like a Tenor Madness or um, Sunny Moon for Two, another great Sonny Rollins blues. And these are based on like a riff that gets repeated. And that's one of the, the coolest things about the blues is that if you come up with a riff that works over the first four bars, it will kind of work over the other measures in the blues. Like if you listen to Sunny Moon for Two, it's literally just the same thing three times in a row. Uh, but it, but it's one of the most swinging blueses that I've ever heard in my life. Um, and then you get a blues like Sandu, which is a little bit more of like what I call a through composed blues. Uh, or if you start listening to Charlie Parker, um, he wrote what I would consider to be like a bebop blues, right? So I like to separate them in categories and I, I have like lists of tunes that, you know, I know and I will separate the blues tunes into those different categories. Uh, so some riff-based blues that I really like, you know, Tender Madness, Sunny Moon for Two, um, Blues in the Closet. Have you ever heard that one? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, trying to Blues by Five. That's a really, really great uh, blues that I think everybody should know. Um, some of the bebop blueses that I really like, so like Aprevav mm -hmm. or Bloom Ditto. Um, some of the other ones are escaping me a little bit. Uh, was blues for Alice, which has yeah, those, right. the, which has those like uh, I guess they call them bird changes, right. which are it sort of departs. It's still based on the blues, but it's that's where you really start adding all these different harmonic movements. Yep. For sure. So when I think about the blues, Blues for Alice is kind of the most complicated one out yeah, there. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, something to work towards, you know what I mean? Totally. totally. Um, but I think with a short list of, of blues melodies, you could really go out to almost any jam session. Um, it's kind of easy for the rhythm section. They just need to know kind of what key you're in. Um, and then hopefully they have an idea of how the head goes so that they can... Um, you know, support you in the way that they should be. Uh, but just learn a handful of them. It's not like you need to know a hundred blues heads before you can really put yourself out there. Uh, maybe some of those, some of those tunes that we just mentioned. An another great one is Blue Monk. That's one that I hear called all the time at jam sessions. Uh, and I think of that one as kind of halfway in between like a riff blues and a through composed blues. Uh, so, so those are some of my favorite blues tunes and some of the first ones that come to mind when I think about tunes that get called at jam sessions. And here's a little hack for everybody that I just thought of. If you are, are, are you're playing at a jam session or a gig and you start to get this overwhelmingly terrifying feel <laughs> feeling that someone's going to call a song you don't know, mm -hmm. Just be like, hey guys, we haven't played a blues in a while. Let's play a blues, and then you'll you'll get by one song. So man, that's a really really good piece of advice. <laughs> and then you can say, oh man, I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> oh oh shoot. Oh gosh, I have to get up early for an appointment. Tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. There you go. All right. That was just a little bit of humor. Do do I have enough humor on this podcast? I I don't know. Maybe not. Ah, too serious. That's okay. an essential part of jazz too, right? It humor. is. Oh, it so is. If you don't have humor, then it just it just gets way too serious. Exactly. Um, okay, so here's here's a couple more questions that so we talked a lot about chord changes. We talked a lot about forms, mm -hmm. um, all this really important stuff. You know that you, you have to know tunes. Uh, you have to be able to listen. The difference between a major and a minor blues. All this really fundamental, pivotal stuff. But there are some people that are wondering, but how do I improvise over this stuff? Which is a huge question, mm -hmm. and we cover this a lot on, on on my podcast, and you cover it a lot on your podcast. This is that mm -hmm. never ending journey that you were talking about earlier. Right. But let's talk about it a little bit. Um, 
What's John asks from the community group? What are some options for sewing over a typical blues progression? Major pentatonic scale, minor pentatonic scale. So he's asking a lot about scale. So maybe we'll talk a little bit um, about that. Like you know, if you really are starting from square one, are the there some um, I like to call scales pitch collections that you can use to draw tones from? And then Mark also asked from the group, how can you avoid getting stuck in just using like the blues scales or arpeggios yeah. and stuff like that? So that's a different side of the question. So let's let's talk about like a basic are there some scales or some uh maybe not scales but overarching ideas of approaching it for someone who's just starting out yeah for sure um i'm a huge fan of chord tones and the reason why i am is just because it's a simple accessible thing that when we first start playing playing jazz tunes and improvising i really truly believe in limiting uh your options right? Because there's so many options out there that you can get lost in it. And you'll never actually formulate a concrete idea of a melody. And what you'll end up sounding like is just, you know, you're just noodling on scales for lack of a better term. Right. Um, And I think that that's a, a huge issue with like education is that some, some teachers will just give you, okay, here's the list of scales, go. And, yep. and you're left wondering, man, I sound like crap. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I have the knowledge in front of me. I have the scales. Why can't I sound like Coltrane? And it's really not your fault. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's, there's, those are a lot, that's a lot of options for you. And of course you're going to flounder if you have too many options. You know, if I, if, if I say, hey, let's go grab some food um, and I give you a list of 200 restaurants you're going to be really, really overwhelmed and it's going to be really tough to make a decision on which restaurant you want to go to. So I feel like this is, this is the way it works when, it's, when you're improvising as well. So that's why I'm a huge fan of chord tones. So now you narrow yourself down to four options over every chord. And the nice thing about chord tones is that they all sound really good. So you're, you're doing two things. You're narrowing down your options and you're narrowing them down to only the best sounding notes over the chord. Right. Uh, And this is a fantastic way to start because less overwhelming. And if you're thinking less about note choices, maybe you can think a little bit more about rhythm, uh, which is obviously huge. Like rhythm is way more important than note choice. Um, And if you look back at all the great jazz musicians throughout history, I I truly believe that they will all say that, uh, that it's it's all about rhythm. So you've got your chord tones, and a lot of people will say to me, like, well, with four notes over every chord, my solo is going to be boring, but there's literally nothing that can be less true than a solo just using chord tones being boring. You can play some fantastic solos just using chord tones if you're really good at it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and if you if you listen to sorry to interview Nick, uh, no, if you listen right. to uh, Miles Davis's solo on Freddie Freeloader is a great example of he uses very few notes, mm-hmm. uh, but it just sounds so great, right? Yep. So there you go. Yep. And, and it's really so. I think a lot of people, what happens to them is that they don't go deep enough on the chord tones, um, and then yeah, your solo is going to be boring because maybe you're starting from the root every single time. Uh, maybe you're ignoring a certain intervallic relationship that's present in the chord tones, but you just haven't 
practice them enough to discover that relationship. So, you know, you're just playing up and down the arpeggio every single time. And yeah, of course, that's going to be boring. So my my true belief and kind of the the angle that I approach improvising from is pick a simple concept and go really, really, really deep on it. So take chord tones and figure out how to flip them in every single way possible. Uh, can you go through the blues and start every chord tone sequence on the root? Can you do it on the third? Can you do it on the fifth? Can you do it on the seventh? Can you do it ascending and descending? Um, can you discover some of those relationships that come from inverting the chord tones uh, and playing them up and down? So like, for instance, um, let's let, I'm going to play one chorus of the blues just using chord tones. And let's see if I can come up with something that's that's interesting. Hopefully I can. I'm kind of putting myself on the spot here. Um, you got this. You got so this. if I play an F blues only using chord tones, let's see what happens. It's not the most interesting thing in the world, but I sounded think that killer to me. I mean, I, that that just that was. I mean, that just sounded like a good solo. Just you were doing just that, you know. Yeah, and I'll do That's, that on stage. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. not afraid to to. Maybe I make a decision before I start a solo. Like, all right, I'm going to just play with chord tones and let's let's see what I can do here. Um, so one thing I think that's overlooked on the chord tones a lot, like I was talking about intervallic relationships. So a lot of people would just play one, three, five, seven, and then maybe they'll play seven, five, three, one. But what you're missing out on if you're just doing that is there's actually a whole step relationship between seven and one, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're sick of just hearing the relationship of thirds, well, if you invert your uh, chord tone, so maybe now you're playing three, five, seven, one. Now you have the presence of a whole step, which can really open up a lot of possibilities. So things like that, you know, and I think that's why I like to start people with, with just the chord tones. And I truly believe that's a great way for everybody to start. Awesome. I love that. I love everything you just said. I mean, I think everybody listening today, I mean, that just, that's all the value you need right there. I mean, you can go and you can put this into practice. You can get there in the shed and just start doing some of the things that Nick just mentioned. So uh, very value packed there. And so just now for those and to get back to uh, Mark's question from the community group, mm -hmm. for those who want to go further than playing the core tones, mm -hmm. what, what are maybe, what, what's maybe something that they could do to uh, start taking it a little further for improvising. Yeah, so I think about I think another beautiful thing about the chord tone approach is that rather than thinking about scales as scales, you can almost think about scales as connecting chord tones. Oh right? yes, oh right, that is totally the right philosophy. I love that. Yeah, and and then all of a sudden scales become a lot less overwhelming. Right. So if you think about it in terms of like, so I'll break up my scales. Um, so maybe after I'm done practicing my chord tone stuff, I'll explore the relationship of like uh, a scale segment. So maybe one, two, three. Right. And I'll, I'll go through the blues and I'll play a bunch of stuff just using one, two, three on every chord. So now I'm not thinking about 
it's tough to put into words sometimes uh, the way that you think about things when you're improvising. But I'm thinking about it less as a scale and more as I'm just connecting one and three, right? right? Or And then I'll go and do three, four, five. So now I'm connecting three and five. And then maybe I'll graduate to a larger segment. So maybe now I'm connecting one and five, right? And the three just happens to be in the middle there. Um, I think that my, I was your typical case of like middle school jazz band. Um, we're playing something that's not a blues and the director just hands you a sheet full of scales. And that's what my solo sounded like was just scales. And I think a real turning point in my playing was when I started to think about scale tones as connecting chord tones. Um, so I'm definitely a huge, huge believer in that. And, uh, I'm like firsthand example, I guess that it works. And it, if you're having trouble with scales, some people don't have trouble with it. Some people just understand it. They understand how the texture works and they sound great right off the bat. I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people. Uh, so I had to figure out a way to think about it differently. Yeah. I love that. I, I think everybody, everybody should write that down somewhere <laughs> that start with chord tones and then think of scales as connecting that. And, you know, you're talking about all those patterns, one, two, five, you know, you could start, right. I mean, there's so many different possibilities right? and taking that simplistic approach just to start with, and then you can start filling in the gaps. You can start adding chromaticism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh man, such great stuff. So, Nick, like you, you obviously know a thing or two about improvising, about the blues, about how to completely just crush the blues. And that is exactly why you have a course called 60 Days to Crushing the Blues. And I just feel like there are more people that want to go further with you. So, uh, could you tell us a bit about this course? Yeah, so it's a it's a video course. Uh, so it comes with basically a whole bunch of videos that go along with every single week uh, of me demonstrating some of the material and just trying to explain it in a way which I feel like I couldn't write down. Um, so when I was trying to figure out how I wanted to present this course, I thought of just writing like an ebook or something like that. And then I figured, well, you know, we have this ability to do video nowadays. So why don't I do a video course with like PDFs that accompany it? Um, Because one of my one of my favorite things about teaching is like, you know, being in the same room as a person and kind of having a conversation. Um, And and just for me personally, I feel like I can get my ideas across a lot better uh, when I'm just speaking. Um, So there's there's videos jam packed with videos. There's a ton of PDFs. Uh, one that goes along with each week. And I tried to set it up almost like I would if you were a student of mine. Um, so basically, I'm just giving you assignments every week. And the first week is like, you know, the most basic form of the blues, uh, some exercises that we can do over it to start familiarizing ourselves with it. And then it progressively works its way into more of like a bebop blues. So I'll, I, I forget which week it is, uh, but I'll present the sixth chord to you in measure eight. And we'll spend a week just talking about, all right, what is this sixth chord? Uh, why does it sound good? How do we use it? 
Um, why is it even there? Some of the theory behind um, the secondary dominant stuff and, and those kind of things. And then I'll give you a bunch of material to work on to hopefully start to assimilate some of that more advanced stuff into your playing. Um, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback from it because, like I said, the blues can really open you up to a lot of the other mysterious jazz forms that after you spend, let's say, you know, 60 days with the blues and, and just the blues, now you look at a tune that previously had been like, looks like hieroglyphics to you. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, well now I, now I recognize that progression. That's just blah, 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 this thing that we covered in the blues. Or you start to recognize the relationships between chords. Oh, that just goes up to the four chord, just like the blues does. Or, right. oh, hey, that's a two, five, one, or a turnaround, or whatever. Um, so I think that this, the, the 60 days that you could really dedicate to this course um, is not just time that you're dedicating towards the blues. It's really going to show up in a lot of different situations. Um, and I'm just really excited. And obviously you can tell I'm passionate about just, this is the place to start. So if you're looking at good for a good starting place, um, I think the course would be a good, good way to go. And I like the fact that it's self-guided. So yeah, it's called 60 days to crushing the blues, but like if you need 180 days to get through all the material because you don't have a ton of time, that's the real beauty of it. Um, you know, you can go at your own pace. You can spend, let's say you get to week four and you're like, oh, okay, this is harder than I thought. Great. Spend a month on it. Um, and that's totally fine. You do not need to get through it in 60 days. <laughs> right, right. That's awesome. So that sounds like a great course. Um, so for those who want to check that out, where can they find that? Yeah. So if you go to our website, 10minutejazzlesson.com, and it's the number 10minutejazzlesson.com, uh, and click on the store tab, you can find that and a couple of other courses that we have um, and all the stuff that's going on at the 10 Minute Jazz Lesson too, which I think a lot of you will will find very useful. We, we put out a PDF with every single episode. So I've, I've talked to a lot of listeners that over the years have filled like binders with these PDFs and oh, that's so cool. you know, they say, well, I can't get to everything every week, but then you, you have everything, um, which has been one of the best pieces of feedback I've gotten from everything that's going on over at that website. So cool. Well, Nick, I want to thank you so much for just absolutely laying down a ton of value for my audience today. Really appreciate it. And uh, I think we might have you back again sometime in the future. Awesome, man. I would love that. Thanks so much for having me. All right, that's all for today's show. I want to thank you so much for listening. And another special thanks to our guest, Nick Manella, for just laying it down. Make sure you check out the 10-Minute Jazz Lesson podcast and, of course, his course. And uh, listen, hey, I've enjoyed having you today. Thanks for sticking in through the end. It's a long interview, but a value-packed one. And so I really appreciate you for listening. Uh, I do what I do because of you, so thank you. And if you did get some value out of today's show, I always ask to leave a rating and a review on iTunes Give some positive feedback. Helps other people uh, find the show and know that it's a show worth listening to. And it's just a free way, simple way, fast way to give back. So thank you so much for taking that time. All right. Next week, we are going to be having episode 111. I'm looking forward to seeing you back then. 
Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.